when we look around and we ask our friends or we have chats during morning tea or when we're on the internet and social media, lots of people, lots of voices tell us that we should be happy right now. They demand our satisfaction, our fulfillment, whether it's by takeaway or whether it's by buying that house or whether it's by going on that holiday. Our world seems to want us to be very happy. Yet that's not how we always feel. Think about just the week that you just had. If you're real to yourself and before God, we know that suffering and pain is reality. Um, we prayed about some of those sufferings today together. I love the Bible that it's very real about these things. It doesn't ignore it. It doesn't hide away from the truth of human suffering. The Bible is real. It doesn't ignore it. It doesn't use platitudes. Um, I've been to lots of uh, funerals and some Christian and some non-Christian and it's very interesting the comparisons of what people say during morning tea after. People who uh, do not call themselves Christians and don't have a faith in Christ, when you hear about how they think about suffering and pain, it is very different to how those of us who have joy and assurance of hope, how we think about suffering. God doesn't ignore suffering. Our God meets reality head on. He meets suffering head on. Suffering makes us doubt. It confuses us. Um, suffering makes us feel alone. It's ironic then that society values independence, self-reliance. It's ironic that that's what they want us to be, and yet that's the problem that we have, is loneliness. Now, these two psalms that we've written is a psalm written for people who are suffering alone. It's a psalm written for those who will one day suffer alone. So we're going to get straight into it. Uh, and if you sort of see these psalms, um, at first I was just going to focus on Psalm 42. But if you notice in Psalm 43, there seems to be some overlap where almost you can say the chorus is repeated uh, in Psalm 43 as well. Um, so, so this psalm, it's, it, it's sort of like a song with three parts and a chorus. Uh, I think the chorus, and I'll show you it in the text, the repeated refrain, is actually a great summary of this psalm. Uh, it's Look at uh, chapter 42, verse 5. Chapter 42, verse 5 that you can see there. Uh, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour, and my God. Friends, that's the chorus of the song that we will see in the psalm. There's two main things that I want uh, us to see here. First, it's the fact that we all face suffering and sometimes we feel alone. Second is yet when we face suffering, we are never alone. So those are the two things that the psalm will teach us. Uh, on the outline there, um, you will see just three headings that would help you, you know, if you want to know where we are. I'll also try and sign point as we go. Uh, I'm up to the first very point. Uh, searching for God is exhausting. You can see there, Psalm 42 starts with absolute exhaustion. Look at verse 1. It says, after the, the subscript, I'll read, uh, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Where can I go and meet with God? 
My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? One of the features of this psalm is water. Water seems to be um, a motif that's used in this psalm. Right from the beginning, the soul of the psalmist is thirsty for God. He needs water. He's looking for it. In verse 1, you see there, uh, you see the text for yourself, he says, we see a, a deep panting. Now, why would a deep pant? Why would an animal be panting? Well, you pant when you're exhausted. Think of how far this poor deer had to run through the deserts in the Middle East to be at this point. Think of how frightening it must have been, how lonely, as it desperately searches for water. And as desperate and exhausted this deer is, so also is the soul of the psalmist. Now notice here, I'll read the first three verses again. And just here, did you know the repetition? Oh, I'll read it again. Uh, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? While the deer pants for water, seems the psalmist is panting for God. That's what he's thirsty for. However, the grief in this psalm actually increases because while the psalmist is searching for God, he only seems to be able to find water. It's through his tears. Although he wants to fill his mouth with the thirst-quenching, refreshing presence of God, His mouth is filled with tears. And it's at this point the psalmist shows us how he reacts. It's probably what a lot of us would do when we're suffering. Uh, We we try to remember the better days. That's what he tries to do in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Notice here, at this point, he's almost focusing on himself. He's trying to uh, jog his memory and remember by himself, his memories. He's trying to remind himself of the better days when uh, the the writer was probably in a community of believers, uh, probably someone who was working in the house of God, in the temple. So he was trying to remind himself of that, trying to remember the the senses, what he smelt, what he saw, what he could hear. He was trying to put himself back into the temple, into those better days when he was better. That's what he's trying to do. But remember, in verse 3, we see reality. In his mind, he's trying to remember the great days. But he's actually not surrounded by religious festivals. He's not surrounded by huge gatherings. He's not surrounded by the multitudes of worshippers and singers not the multitudes of singers and worshippers that he's surrounded by. If you remember, he's surrounded by mockers, by doubters. They all say to him day and night, where is your God? He's exhausted. Like a deer panting for water, this psalmist, he's looking for God, but he only finds tears. The psalmist tries then to remember the good times, the multitude of praise, the crowd that he was with, and yet 
he finds mockery. You know, sometimes I wish, and I don't know for you, um, I wish that the original writers of the psalm, how it would have been if they had recording technology. I would have loved to have heard how they sang, how they played, what instruments would have gone where, what sort of things would have accompanied particular verses. These psalms were, were meant to be sing. They were meant to carry alongside the words emotion to help carry on and communicate what the psalmist was trying to say. I feel like in the first chorus that we see in verse 5, I think I'd imagine this played with probably just one faint voice. The chorus would be one faint voice saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. The song then continues. We're into the second verse now. This time, I think it's more chaotic. There's a frightening image going on here. It's a darker melody. So let's go on to section two or the, the, the second verse. Now, this second section, it begins with a situation. He's suffering. He's still alone. Well, look at verse six. You can see there for yourself. My soul is downcast within me. My soul is downcast within me. He's found himself in a situation of trouble. He's sung the chorus to try and remind himself of reality. But he's still suffering. He's still alone. Now, this time, uh, you can see that the psalmist tries to sing to himself about God. So the question that we have at this point in the psalm is, well, will this deer who's panting for water... Will he finally have his thirst quenched? Uh, look at verse 6. Again, we'll read until verse 7. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Um, verse 8 and 10 also shows the psalms trying to pray to God. Maybe things will improve, you know? Maybe there is hope after all. Has the psalmist finally found some water? Uh, in, in verse 6 there, you'll see lots of names of places. Lots of names of places. Uh, Jordan, Heights of Hermon, uh, Mount Mizar. Um, Hermon was the name of a mountain. Uh, it was beside a smaller hill, Mount Mizar. These mountainous regions... Uh, apparently, uh, people who've studied there and been there, uh, they, they tell me that it was the source of the River Jordan. So when uh, the mountain, um, the, the snow caps on those mountains melted, it would rush down from home on a mountain Mizar to send fresh water down and um, help the River Jordan be replenished and the people in the Jordan to be quenched of their thirst. So has the psalmist then found comfort? Well, for the moment, it seems like all is well, then bam, his hopes are dashed. They're pummeled. The psalmist describes, in a way, sort of like a, you know, like the roar of the waterfalls. The, the source of water, the source of life from Hermon, from Mount Mizar, the source that should have been of good, quenching, refreshing water, becomes a source of trouble and chaos. I mean, look at verse 7. 
the, the waters that were meant to save him end up breaking all over the psalmist. Verse 7, deep course to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Imagine you're in the water. Um, it's probably something we'll be doing in a couple of months. Uh, for a moment, it's fine. You know, everything's all right. Uh, you see there, though, in the distance, you see a wave. It comes closer. It pushes you up, then pulls you right down into the deep. You come for air, and then another wave comes and crashes you down. You gasp for air, trying to swim, and then another wave crashes down on you. And then another, and then another. For the Israelites, image of the water uh, is actually quite a complex one. Uh, if you were someone who is used to living life in the desert, like the Israelites, water was meant to symbolize something really good, right? It was meant to symbolize refreshment, symbolize life. But remember in the Old Testament, water also symbolizes chaos. Remember Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Noah's Ark would have been something where the image of water was not so much about life per se, but about judgment. Think about the waters that received Jonah when he was thrown off his boat. And also in the Psalms, it seems like water is an image of chaos and disorder. The psalmist is suffering. He's all alone. He's searching for comfort. He's searching for refreshment. He's searching for God to be with him. But all he finds is chaos, disorder, deep loneliness. We, we all suffer. That's a reality of what it is to be like this side of Jesus' return. They all vary in degrees. Um, some people have splinters in their thumbs. Some people have to go into hospital day to day, week by week for those chemotherapy treatments. Everyone goes through troubles. It might take time uh, to understand that for um, those who are uh, a bit younger, but um, for those who live life and Unfortunately, for those who have not lived life for a long time, they also still suffer a great deal. I feel like one of the most soul-crushing things, though, is not when one suffering takes place, but when many sufferings seem to be joined together like trains. Lots and lots of soul-crushing experiences happening at once. Could be a health thing, and then a relationship happens over there, a transition could be a, something that goes along with your faith or something that happens at church or bad news that you hear on the news. Your child might not want to go to church anymore. You might have another fight with your wife. You get a call from work saying that you're, you'll be laid off. Sometimes we experience things where waves after wave after wave seem to pummel us with suffering. There are real spans of suffering that build upon one another. And it's those times that we feel alone. You can understand then why the psalmist prays to God in the next few verses. I think he's trying to remind himself from verse 8 again of who God is. He's trying desperately to pull himself out of the waves. Now, from the beginning, it seems like he's remembering God and finding refuge in him. Uh, look at verse 8. Sort of starts well. 
By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Yet the actual prayer shows just how hard that is. The psalmist seems, uh, it's like he's crushed in his prayers. Listen to his heart in verse 9. I say to my God, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes tore me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? It's just pain. A prayer that started so well, where he was able to express his heart. It's just pain. He goes on and questions God. God, why? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? Why are these things happening to me out of all people? Why do I deserve this? Why are you letting them attack me? He's exhausted. He can't go any further. Maybe he has given in into the attacks and the words of his mocking and doubting friends. Since the first part, they've been mocking him, saying, and you see there again, where is your God? They've attacked the foundation of this guy's trust, the foundation of this guy's life. Maybe, he's, maybe this is it. He's given up hoping God, he's questioned God, he's rejected him. Maybe he's given up. In the face of all suffering and all the waves, he's just given up. So maybe then when he sings the chorus in verse 11 again, maybe it's just lip service. What's really going on in his heart? How can a faithful believer question God? Psalm 42, at at first glance, might seem to be the words of a doubter, someone who is challenging God. God, how could you do this? How dare you do this? But I think I'd suggest, and you'll see it uh, in the text as we go on, these are not the words of a doubter, but the words of a faithful, suffering servant. When we suffer and we hear someone say, why would God do such a thing? Or God, please, you need to answer me. Or how can you let this thing happen to me? When we hear this, we can think, oh, how ungodly, how, how, how terrible you are, how dare you question God. But laments and cries like these actually show trust in God. They have nowhere else to go with their sufferings and their pains and complaints. And so they take them up to God. They acknowledge that only God can make sense of these things. It doesn't make sense in their mind, but they are able to acknowledge that only God can save. When someone cries out with questions to God, maybe it's a way of acknowledging that it's outside the realm of man. It is beyond the technological advances and superiority of what we have in human hands. Maybe that's what it's about. It's beyond us, but it's not beyond God. Christians, even in the midst of suffering, lament and grieving to God. It's actually an expression of hope. It's a way of saying through the tears, God is comfort. God is joy. I wonder whether you can start to empathize then, start to see the character of the psalmist. He's not just a a doubter, someone who is always challenging. So today we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43. And we're up to our very third section there. And it's written for those, again, who are suffering alone. 
That's who the psalm's written for. For the first two sections now, for the two uh, verses, the psalmist has been singing a song of grief and pain. He's all alone, cut off from his community. He's surrounded by enemies. Yet even through the pain, he cries out to God. He cries out to God. Uh, notice here, it's not a dramatic turn or a sudden shift. It's like shades of a gradual progress. It, it's been gradual. You can see that he's swayed from pain to praise to suffering to prayer to grief and then to hope. That's so human, isn't it? I love how the psalmist is able to express our human experience in our suffering. And, and, and we know this when we suffer, that we sometimes do feel alone. But there's one great truth that sets a follower of Jesus apart from the rest. There's one thing that helps us as followers of Jesus. It's the truth that in Christ we are never alone. The truth that in Christ our hope is found. Listen again to the chorus in verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Friends, even in the darkness, we are never alone. As followers of Jesus, we are never alone. The psalmist in our passage, he, he knows this. He knows this. So in the third section... As we get, he gathers up strength to pray to his God, he first prays for his outward enemies, then he prays for his inward struggle. So uh, jump over to uh, Psalm 43. I reckon it's, it's probably one psalm. Um, oh, sorry, those two psalms were meant to be seen together. Uh, I'll read from verse 1. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? He prays for his outward enemies this time, this band of mockers. Uh, all day long, they've scorned him, they've rejected him, they've doubted him. So he prays for him to be vindicated. He's praying for his name to be cleared. Um, yeah, vindication. For all accusations to drop. Notice in verse 1 then, he calls upon God to defend his cause. Fight for me. Be on my side. That's what he's trying to say. Fight for me. Be on my side. He knows there's no hope in himself. He knows that his memories will fail him. He knows that God is the only one who can fight for him. And so he prays. Verse 1, it's really a prayer for vindication. Please clear my name. Defend my cause. Be committed and fight for me. Verse 2, he has real questions about this. this it's, it's not all cerebral. He, he has doubts. He has real struggles in his heart. And then he goes to verse 3 and 4, this beautiful call of boldness and confidence. Verse 3 and 4. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. It's a confident and bold prayer that God will reveal. 
It is a bold and confident hope in the presence of God and hope. Notice here, has the situation got better for the psalmist like that? No, it hasn't. Yet he points us to something greater. In suffering, he points to a reality that's greater. There's a real desire to change. Notice the future tense in verse 4. I will. I will. He's encouraging himself here by the Spirit, I think, to change. He's pointing himself to hope. In the moments of suffering, a voice comes to our mind and it says to us, does God really care? But we know, actually, when we think about our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a God who knows suffering like no other. Was he not the one who came into the flesh and was mocked and scorned and crucified? The great truth about Christianity is we have a God who actually can empathize with suffering. That's an amazing truth. When we feel in times of suffering that we are alone, let us remember that we have Jesus Christ who suffered for us, who can empathize with our suffering. He meets it head on. He meets suffering head on. When Jesus Christ saw people suffering, he did not walk on the other side. He went to them. And unlike any human being before that time, when he touched an unclean suffering man, it was not him who would become unclean, but it was the sinner and the sufferer who became clean and had hope. Friends, in our times of suffering, and we feel like we are suffering alone, let us come back to the psalmist and sing the chorus and bring our grief to him because he is our Lord who gives us hope. Let me finish by reading the very last verse of Psalm 43. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Let's, let's pray and we'll ask God for help in this. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father who listens to us because of your Son, Jesus. In our times of suffering, when we feel like we are suffering alone, Father, we thank you that you are the one who meets suffering head on. We thank you that you not only empathized with us, but provided us a true and sure way of hope in the midst of grief. We thank you that you are returning. We thank you that you are the one who will provide for us a place and a time where there is no pain and there will be no tears. Help us to look forward to your return and we thank you that you are our God of hope. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.